The name's Chunk. Big Chunk. That was my nickname in middle school. I used to eat a lot of Chips Ahoy cookies. <laughs> mm -mm -mm. I'd dunk them and I'd also put, you know, marshmallow fluff. I know you're a West Coast person, but we had fluff back on the East Coast. I used to put that on Chips Ahoy cookies and dunk that. <laughs> you know what I used to do in high school? What? I used to get cranberry cocktail from like Ocean Spray and put whipped cream in it. Ooh, and drink it. That actually sounds good. <laughs> it was, but it was literally a cup and a half of sugar on top of three cups of sugar. Middle school Danny <laughs> would eat that up. This is this is a little gross. I used to sometimes sneak into my mom's little sugar compartment where we kept the sugar for baking. Sure. And I would just like oh, no. lick that. That's disgusting or i would take spoonfuls that's of that like i would so literally it's so bad i, I mean know. that's a little bit past where i went with it i yeah i had to go farther it was like a virgin cranberry vodka with like a little extra something on the top and thus laura's drinking habits were born <laughs> she started early all right folks wow we have one minute in off the rails but that's how this podcast is welcome to film is lit the podcast where we take a piece of literature and compare and contrast it to its film or tv adaptation my name is danny i'm the film expert my name is laura i am the literary expert yes you are and we should say this up top this podcast as in every episode we do is spoiler filled full of spoilers full spoilers like beginning to end for both the book and the movie and the book and movie in question today is From Russia, Russia with Love. Love. Yeah, now the beginning makes a little bit of sense with me saying my name is Chunk, Big Chunk. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm excited for this one. We're both James Bond super fans. In fact, this is how we kind of, we kind of bonded. Oh, bond. Aww, pun not intended. Cute. Over We bonded over Bond in our first date right and ever since then we've kind of been huge well we fans. were at blade runner 2049 which is going to be an upcoming episode right exactly yeah. but yeah so you'll see you'll hear about that but yeah let's get into i guess i kind of spoiled it saying we're both bond super fans but it's always so fascinating to ask someone with about their history with the bond at, at least with bond films right because right. They, Not a lot of people have read the books, at least in our generation. Sure. Yeah, yeah, including me. I didn't start reading them until I started dating you. And you started, you were the first one to really take charge and start buying the books. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I should give these a shot. Yeah. Exactly. But, okay, but the movies. I mean, it's such a sprawling, long franchise. It's so interesting. It's been through a right. number of different actors. It started in the 60s and now we're supposed to get the 25th Bond this oh, this November. It's breaking my heart. I know. It keeps on it keeps on oh. being pushed back and pushed back. I yeah. mean, it's funny. It originally was pushed back a year because of production problems and script, you know, uh, the director was fired and then a new director was brought on and then and then of course I was delayed by the studio for more editing, and then finally it had a release date of April. And then came COVID. <laughs> yep, you just ruined everything, didn't you, COVID? Come on. Uh, I know. And this is the, we've been looking forward to it as Daniel Craig's last Bond movie. So right. I'm, waiting, I'm waiting to hear who they'll cast as the new Bond, or if they're going to reboot it. If right. They're gonna, send us back to the 60s if they're going to keep us modern right. there's so many unanswered questions that can't come out until the movie drops that's certainly my prediction when bond gets rebooted i think they are going to go Ooh. back to the 60s that they've been saying they you know they're going to do that for a while and i think you know once craig is done here's the thing i just i'm ready for a new spin yeah i'm really ready for some fresh takes on bond because we're very used to the bond that we know and i think with the daniel craig movies they've really taken on the challenge of explaining where bond is from that's not personally that's not i don't think that was a that's something that i want to continue seeing i right. think i'm kind of done with that but yeah do you want to jump into your journey with the bond movies and sure. leading up to from russia with love yeah so 
I've always been a Bond fan. I remember, I don't actually remember the first Bond film I remember seeing, but my parents are at least not big fans, but passing fans. Like mm -hmm. if it's on TV, they're gonna watch it. And I remember, I think it was Man with the Golden Gun, maybe was Your the first favorite. film. <laughs> not my favorite, <laughs> but it's a guilty pleasure for sure. But I remember my parents explaining the Bond franchise to me. I think I was in third grade, I was about eight. And I was more fascinated with the franchise of it all. Let alone, mm -hmm. you know, not necessarily the individual films, but just the fact that there's this one franchise that's continued for so many years, right. decades with different actors, and it's like, it's the same story, same character, but it's also not, you know, it's right. not, the rules aren't implicitly laid out for you. And it's also, I love how, you know, you can, you can watch society change and, you know, through the films, you can see, oh, this was in the 60s and this is what the culture was like. Then oh, and then more abusive to minorities and women. It must be one from the sixties. Gotcha. Yeah, and then yeah, in the seventies with Roger Moore, and you kind of see the landscape there. And then the eighties, where it was kind of weird with Dalton, and then. The fatal kiss so is all we need. And then and then in the nineties with Pierce Brosnan, who had you know one great film with Goldeneye, and then the rest are. I mean, truly terrible. And then... <laughs> he lives in Malibu. He could stop... I mean, oh, Pierce Brosnan, on all accounts, a great man. Uh, but, I mean, his his movies, at least, are yikes. And Goldeneye, <laughs> hot take, Goldeneye isn't that great. I mean, it's, it's probably top 10 Bond, but... So, yeah, in third grade, so 2003, I, I was learning about the Bond films, and I was just so fascinated with the franchise that this thing was continuing with all these years. And I liked, I, what I really liked doing, at a, especially at a young age, was comparing and con contrasting films. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, this Bond, you know, Sean Connery's Bond is a little more cool and blasé, but, mm -hmm. you know, he's fierce when he needs to be in. And, with those karate chops. Right, and and Roger Moore is like really goofy and, and kid friendly and he's, you know, he's like a lover, not a fighter. And then like with Timothy Dalton in the 80s about like he, how he was kind of more of a, of a no-nonsense Bond. And then Pierce Brosnan is its own thing. And then, yeah, so I, I got really into it. I remember when my family went on vacation in 2005 over Christmas, we went to the Turks and Caicos, one of mm -hmm. the greatest trips ever been on and they had a bond marathon there and i just remember us you know like after a day out on the beach of just watching bond movies and it was just so fun and i and nostalgia plays a big factor with these bond movies right because as we've been revisiting them some of them have been like yikes that hasn't yeah. aged well or yikes that wasn't as fun as i thought it would be so Christmas comes only once a year. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. so I will admit that nostalgia plays a big factor for these movies, but then Daniel Craig's movies came around and I think the bond you grow up with as in the movies that come out when you're a kid and a teenager, I think that's what that's like your bond, right? Mm -hmm. But your bond can be different from your favorite bond. For sure. Right? And I, I love Daniel Craig. I think Skyfall and Casino Royale are, you know, are definitely in the top five mm -hmm. of Bond films. Like, yeah. I love those films. Quantum of Solace, Spectre, pretty terrible. But, um, but Craig himself, though, is great in all four movies. Yes. And I think Craig will always be my bond. But my favorite bond has always been Sean Connery. And I think that uh -huh. d that, that comes from my parents. Like, my, uh, Sean Connery is my parents' favorite Bond. And, like, since I grew up with my parents always saying that, like, I've always v viewed Sean Connery as, like, the cool, like, you know, he's the first. He's the, the founding sure. father, right? <laughs> he, he'll always be James, you know, James Bond, you know, capital J, capital B. Sure. But Daniel Craig will always be my Bond, but... I love the franchise all the same, even though half of the films are, let's be honest, not great. No. And, and, and only a handful of Bond films are like truly great. But I, there's something to admire in almost every film. Yeah. And just oh, the yeah. fact that, that this franchise is still going after 25 years, that makes 
that that elevates even the bad films that that it's a part mm -hmm. of this bigger thing mm -hmm. right so yeah that's my that's my very long-winded story with with james bond uh, the films how about you yeah i can't remember the first time i saw james bond it was definitely shown to me by my dad my dad if we're super fans my dad's like i mean he has the craziest bond trivia in the back of his mind He'll like he pull it out of his ass out yeah. of, yeah. shout out to pete i mean there there are so many actors that are like passing in the background of a shot and he's like oh yeah this that's this person and he's in a different bond like all that, like i my close dad. my eyes it's like pete's in the room spot yeah. on impression <laughs> But yeah, my dad is a huge fan. And again, I don't remember the first time I saw a Bond film. I don't remember the first one I did see, but I remember it being a big part of my life and my childhood growing up. My dad always, you know, if, if we were flipping channels and a Bond came on, we'd stop. And I remember when I first started getting into thrift shopping, I started buying all the DVDs for my dad and it was like this huge quest to get all of the James Bond. Like we we needed the whole series. So now we have all the whole series on DVD. Yeah, which is something we're doing now too. Yes, we're right. getting our own set. Of course, yeah. because I can't take those out of our collection for right. my dad. Mm -hmm. So I would say I grew up with my first iteration of Bond being Pierce Brosnan because mm. those were coming out when we were young and those were constantly on television. And so absolutely like, I just can't get Pierce Brosnan's face out of my childhood of <laughs> being Bond. But my favorite slam dunk is Daniel Craig because of how he portrays Bond. And I think you touched on this nicely when you were talking about how you can see the culture change throughout the actors time periods mm -hmm. and i think that i really love the grit of daniel craig because it really reflects the character that ian fleming wrote mm. about right and we should go back we should back up and say that ian fleming is the creator of this character of course i mean I'm sure most people know that, but Ian Fleming created this character in the early 50s based on a lot of his experiences from serving in World War II. So I was definitely introduced to the movies first. And then only a few years ago, I was speaking of thrift shopping. We were in San Carlos. We were in San Carlos thrift shopping <laughs> and I found a stack of eight James Bond novels that were published in the 60s. So they weren't the first, they weren't first editions, but they're early yeah. editions. And I was really interested in reading the novels because as much as I love Bond for the silliness of the franchise, because obviously the movies are adventure films, but I have always been very concerned by the sexism that's just baked into them. Mm -hmm. So I was really interested to go back and read the novels and see just how sexist and racist and elitist Ian Fleming was. Or did that come out of the movie adaptations? Like, where did that sort of come in? And I was thinking, like, I was thinking I was going to kind of not really love the novels and not really take them seriously. But as soon as I started reading the ones that I bought, I was like, holy crap, these are awesome. And they're even better than the movies, for sure, hands down. Like, I don't think that there's a movie that I like better than the novels because there's just so much more to the character of Bond. And so I'm kind of like going off, I'm starting to go off, but I was really interested in starting to read the novels because I wanted to know where the sexism and racism and elitism came from like because those just seem to be baked into the movies i was just interested to know if that's also what came through in the novels and i was surprised that as much as there are those elements in the books the women characters are awesome they're all really interesting and they're not dumb they're not just empty-headed characters which i really enjoy and James Bond is also a lot more flawed 
in the books than he is in the movies, which I also find a lot more engaging. So I've now read every single novel that Ian Fleming wrote, plus all of his collections of short stories, which are incredible. The short stories are amazing. Uh, if you ever get to read the collection For Your Eyes Only and the Octopussy collection, wow. Mm -hmm. So good. <laughs> but anyway, so that's kind of my journey. I grew up watching the movies, loved them for how silly they were, and then recently started reading the novels and just really, really, really can't get enough of them. Really like reading them. So, yeah. That's where we diverge a little bit. So I've only read Casino Royale, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, Man with a Golden Gun, and... From Rush with Love, and I gotta tell you, I I really do appreciate the strong female characters and the characterization of Bond himself, which you don't get any of that in yeah. most of the movies. Yeah. And the Craig Bond movies, they try they do that to an extent with his backstory, but not too much. And mm -hmm. I just come to the conclusion that Fleming's novels, for the most part, just really really aren't aren't for me which is okay. which is surprising because i love like spy espionage stuff is right. just so my jam i love i mean that's a big reason why i love the movies but it, this is kind of a a thing i found out about myself it's like wow when it comes to bond i i really do just want like a, a mission and a story and action and and the normal tropes and th and that's it and yeah. there are stretches of the fleming novels where you get these great descriptions and and you learn more about bond and it is really engaging but i just i hit i hit these walls when i read his books that you know it's it's a flaw within me i know but i just i can't fully engage all the way and yeah that's so interesting cuz with the movies when i was coming at this when we rewatched it for the podcast I came at it looking for an analysis and like themes <laughs> and mm -hmm. there's really not much to dig out of the right. movie. And the thing that I really find engaging about the slowness of the novels is that James Bond is constantly struggling with his privilege of having the license to kill. Mm -hmm. And having not only the privilege but the responsibility. And so he has this weight of responsibility on him as as a spy that I think is really engaging because you know how many of us have <laughs> a license to kill no nobody right. has that so I think it's just a really interesting way of thinking about not just being a spy but also being someone in the military who's given that responsibility and as we learn in the novels and here and there in the movies James Bond was in the Navy and he served in military conflicts. So it's just interesting to see that yeah. come across and, in, and the, have you in the novels. Right, and you describing that right now, I'm really intrigued by that. And, and that's the thing. <laughs> it's like, I want to be invested, but I just really, at the end of the day, I, I think I'm just so influenced by the movies that I'm just expecting that action and some of them are very slow burns like like I was saying if you've read Octopussy there is no action at all You're at right. all in that short story but it's the slow burn of bringing justice about to someone who had murdered someone mm -hmm. and James Bond has that again that responsibility of bringing someone to justice but he he has to come to terms and to come with peace with the fact that he's also using this tool of murder to punish someone who murdered someone else. So yeah. like that's that that's that mental high beam that the character plays on in the books that I find just riveting. Mm -hmm. And I, I totally get it. I mean, you know, this book is a really good example. So From Russia With Love is the fifth novel in the James Bond series out of 14, including the short stories. And it was written in 1957. I think this is a really good example of what an incredible describer Ian Fleming is of Bond's world, mm -hmm. you know? And for example, James Bond doesn't show up in the novel until halfway through. The entire first half of the novel is setting up the background of Red Grant, who's an Irish defector 
to Russia, who is then sent by the Russian Smirsh, <laughs> which is a organization of terrorists to murder James Bond to humiliate the British government. So, and Red Grant is in the movie for a total screen time of what, 20 minutes? Like he's in it very, very in, he's sort of the specter of murder through Mm -hmm. the whole thing, but he's really not in it. And the first half of the novel just describes his backstory. Right. It's like, you know, yeah. If you just go, if that's the first novel you read, James Bond novel, it's like, Wait, what, what? When does James Bond come in? What What are For these sure. books about? Is well, it... and and you get so much description about Red Grant that at first you think it's describing Bond, right? But it's not at all. Like it goes into this whole thing about how this masseuse comes and she doesn't know where he is some of the times, and sometimes he comes back with scars and bruises and cuts and broken bones, and so she's like, "What is this guy doing?" So you're like, "Oh, of course this is Bond." But no, it's Red Grant. And that is something that I thought was really wild. And I actually really liked how Fleming kind of took the chance on this crazy story. Because Mm -hmm. you go into the background of Red Grant, uh, how he grew up kind of this psychopathic killer who would murder on full moons. And then he, he just had this desire to kill so much when he was not utilized in the the you know british irish army you know right. i i forget the exact uh, what you know whether he's in the military or navy but when he wasn't utilized he was just like okay i want to kill so i'm just going to go to the nearest force that i can immediately defects on the basis is like hey can if i join you guys will you let me kill yeah. and they're like yeah the Russians sure they're like yes of yes. course we will yes. um so <laughs> they and it's kind of because the russians are always the bad guys in the james Bond right novels. and which is why so in the book the main force bad force the baddies was smears <laughs> wait no right smirsh smirsh which stands for which is the acronym of smirt sponium which stands for death, death to despise spies. So this, the film, they changed um, that to Spectre, right. which was throughout in the other Fleming books as well mm-hmm. as that, you know, the, the Spectre that we know and love of, you know, Blofeld is at the top. And right. he, he, number they're... one, number two, number three. <laughs> well, right. there, there is no number two in the movies because it that sounds like poop. poop. Yeah, and that's, why, that's why Austin Powers. Austin Powers is so funny. Yeah, <laughs> and Spectre stands for Special Executive for Counterintelligence, Terrorism, Revenge. That's always funny. <laughs> and Extortion. So silly. But yeah, but the movie came out in 1962 and they, they changed Smirsch to Spectre because, yeah, they didn't want to overplay the Russians being the villains since they're going through the Cuban Missile Crisis and, mm-hmm. and you know, Soviet Union was still very much... Um, in power and and so they kind of wanted yeah they, they kind of wanted to distance themselves from that so there's I mean it's pretty it's pretty much a one-to-one comparison you know Smirsch to Spectre whereas Spectre right. is international you know Smirsch was just in Russia but they had the same goals right to you know create anarchy throughout the whole world and right. where in the book what was Smear's motivation in the book for wanting to kill Bond? They just It's basically they... just to humiliate the British intelligence because they see the British intelligence agency MI6 as the biggest threat to their operations. Right. And so they're they want to make a statement. And so there's this huddle in the beginning of the novel, very much like Blofeld's or Dr. Evil's Mm -hmm. (laughs) conference rooms. And they're all throwing out ideas about how they can make a statement and humiliate the British intelligence agency. And the main guy says, you know, who, who's an agent that we could publicly murder in order to make this statement. And James Bond comes up, and that's... Their, so their motivation is tenue, it's HBS. Yes, right. <laughs> to, to, to quote one of our favorite podcast hosts, Who Who Matt has Corley. an impersonation of Ian Fleming with right. this very posh British accent. I, yes. I urge everyone to look up an interview with Ian Fleming on YouTube because his voice is very distinct, and he's just so British. It's, it's pretty funny, but... 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, so they're they're that's their motivation. Right. And where we come to the first change between the book and the movie. So in the movie, Spectre wants to kill Bond to embarrass MI6, but also to to get revenge for Bond killing Doctor No, because the first Bond movie right. was Doctor No, and and you find now that he was a part of Spectre. So, which th- interestingly, Doctor No, the book follows from Russia with Love. Right, exactly. So that that's kind of a a cool change yeah, that, that, I like that they yeah. added that a little bit motivation. I mean, revenge is part of Spectre's title, revenge. So they're like, yeah, let's get revenge for Doctor No. Right, and basically. Both the movie and the book, they share the same plot threads of exploiting this Russian embassy defector, or the Russian embassy in Istanbul, mm-hmm. right? Exploiting this defector, this the beautiful defector whose name is Tatiana Romanova. That's it. And they, they plan to use her to get Bond. They want Bond to hook up with her, mm-hmm. and she'll deliver him the, the spectre which is this Russian decoding device. Right, that the British intelligence agency has been after. Want. But then in both the book and the movie, James Bond and M, they both, they know it's a trap, but they do it anyways to try to get closer. They take the gamble. They take the gamble to get to Spectre. And, you know, even Tatiana, she's kind of aware that she's being played and and that's something that I like about both the book and the movie that that everyone is aware that they're being played, but they go along with it anyways. They think they can outthink the other players, right? right. And and that's something that I think is really interesting and smart. And I like how in both the book and the movie, there's a scene with uh, Kronstein, who who's kind of one of the specters is number five or something like that. And he's talking to Blofeld saying like them realizing that they're being played is part of this plan. That right. like, that's why this plan's going to work because they're going to go in thinking that they're going to trump us, but, but when really we're going to do it. So it, it's a little bit convoluted in that sense, but that's, that's kind of where, you know, so the movie and the book, they, they're they're still very linked in that sense and then bond in both stories heads to istanbul where he meets kareem bay who's a great character yeah a great in the book as well he's a great character right and and through him they kind of, they learn more about the russians who are who they're currently fighting with in in, in istanbul the british v the russians in both both the book and the movie, there's this really weird scene in a, in a gypsy camp where there's this some battle between like two forces who we like who's fighting these who two, and oh well right the setup is that these two women are fighting over this one guy and they're supposed to kill each other oh that th- that too <laughs> I was then, I was talking about the big fight that erupts after that right. but yeah. but yeah in both the book and the movie there's this very sexualized it's both sexist and racist because it's commenting yeah. on gypsies being these kind of yeah debaucherous feral people and then sexist having these two women fight to the death or try to fight to the death to get uh one man as their husband which is yeah it's very awful it's it's a low point for this movie one of the low points for the franchise but (laughs) but i should say this movie is as we'll get to one of the better i think the one of the better bond films the second half yeah for sure yeah, I agree. And I guess continuing on on the plot, then they both go in both the book and the movie. They go on a train, the Orient Express, the Orient Express right, from Turkey back to France, where they're supposed to. Where, yeah, and then where they're confronted with Red Grant. Right. And then yeah, that's which kind is of... such a great. So yeah, that's basically the end. Right. And then Bond, of course, overcomes everything and he wins and he gets the decoder and blah blah blah. So. You know, they're very similar, both the book and the movie and story, but there are some glaring differences. We already said one between Schmirsch and Spectre, but, but what else is there? There's a fun little overlap between the women that Bond had interactions with in the later, in the previous book mm. slash movie. So I just love this. See, this is like, this is another thing that I really love about 
the Bond in the books is that Bond gets heartbroken. Right. He doesn't he doesn't just treat women as dispensable. He does in a lot of situations. But also, usually the woman that he ends up by the end of the book with, he really thinks he's going to marry or right. date for a long time or court. And so I actually think it's like kind of sad because in the beginning, Bond is really bored because he's had his heart broken by Tiffany Case, who he met up with and fell in love with in the previous novel, which is Diamonds Are Forever. So he's just hanging out considering quitting, (laughs) which is kind of where Daniel Craig's Bond starts out a few of his movies too. Mm -hmm. He's had his heart broken. He's destroyed. He's distraught. He's not going back to the espionage business until M calls. One final (laughs) mission. And M offers him this very strange mission of picking up this woman who apparently has fallen in love with him just by looking at his file at the the russian embassy in turkey it's very silly that's her backstory it's so dumb in fact in the movie and in the book there's this funny line about how oh these things happen in movies like i'm not like i'm not a movie star what if she doesn't like me when she sees me in person and em's like really bond (laughs) (laughs) you are you uh, could have movie star looks and you don't think so i think that's that's kind of a character development that's so ground into the character of bond in the movies is that all of the women he has are very disposable and he even lies to tiffany case in the beginning of the movie or is it Tiffany Case it's or it's Sylvia it's Trench? Sylvia Trench, which is the stupidest name. Yeah, of all this time. is a this is a fun fact, not to interrupt, but this mar- this movie marks the last appearance of Sylvia Trench. She was in Doctor No as well in the year previous, right. sixty two. The original plan was for Sylvia to appear in each movie as Bond's regular girlfriend, like continually frustrated when Bond is called away for his next assignment. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, because yeah the when we finally meet Bond in the movie, which is pretty far into the movie, 20 minutes, really long for, right. uh, really long for a Bond film. He's, he's chilling out with Tiffany next to a, like a river. Right. And he's right next... A bottle ne- of champagne around his toe. <laughs> he, he's right next to his green Bentley from... It, it's in the novels. Uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, he has a green Bentley in that. So they put that in there as a little nod to that. But yeah, that was the plan. The, every Bond movie was supposed to start with him mm. just chilling with... With Sylvia Trench, like seemingly after they just like banged one out, and then of him being like, uh, of her being like, oh, you got like come back to bed, and him being like, sorry, sweetie, I need to go. Right. <laughs> that was Jimmy Carson. I just did not Sean Connery, but um, yeah, of him just Jimmy, Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson, never mind. And she was supposed to appear in six other films, but producer Cubby Broccoli, that's his real mm-hmm. name, Broccoli. Uh, he he scrapped that idea. Well, it's uh, kind of what Money Penny is there for. Right, like, exactly. That's the same. Maybe that's probably that's she's why. She's so great, and it's kind of the same in the novels. That's exactly what she plays with Bond as well. Sort of that coy, "I want you, I'll never have you. You want me, you'll never have me." Sort of that back and forth, which is so funny. It's right. a great relationship. Yeah, but I mean the the middle part of the movie and the book with them in Istanbul is pretty much a one-to-one there's not a lot of changes between them they kind of they add in the movie they added a few scenes of red grant stalking james bond they added that after the fact just to add some more tension just to remind you that hey red grant's still in the movie too whereas in the book he he takes a he takes you know the back seat for pretty much you know after the beginning once he's introduced in the first three hours then the next you know the next couple hours it's all bond in istanbul yeah i think a lot of that comes from the fact that there is so much character development in the books that a lot of the stuff that they have to fill the movies with just has to be more interesting visually and for for a story line you know i think there's just so much that you can't show there's no way that you could write a third of a novel just describing Red Grant's background and have that pop right. up. It's just like, it's not feasible. So I think they just had to cram a lot of extra stuff, which is fine. But I think, yeah, the, the first half of this movie struggles 
because there just isn't a lot there. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, the plot, at least like you said in the first half, it's really silly of of Tatiana, you know, falling right. in love via a picture and, you know, Connery just going along with it. And then going back to the gypsy camp, there's this big fight that erupts between these two forces that have like nothing to do with anything. Right. And you're like, what is... Yeah, it's really confusing. There's just this... I think it's kind of hinted that it's just a force that's been upset with Kareem's power in the region. And they're attacking him, but, but also Red Grant is there. Right. So he's folded into... The, yeah, it's very... It's pretty confusing. It's kind of like I watching it, I'm like, who cares? Like, yeah. I don't give a hoot about Kareem's problems. Like, right. I like Kareem as a character, but, like, I thought we were watching a Bond movie. Like, what right. is and this? And he ends up being killed by the group that's after Bond anyway. Right. So it has nothing to do with that storyline. It's very confusing. Right. Yeah. It's just, that, is, that sort of was just put in there because they needed to stretch the time before they got onto the train, and they needed a little bit of action. It happens in the book, but it's, yeah, it's just disjointed. And... Right. And once they get on the train in the movie... Then it turns into, honestly, a completely different film. Yeah. Like the pacing, the pacing was way too fast in the first half. Going to location, location, all throughout right. Istanbul. You're like, what's going on? These two forces are fighting. I, I don't care about them. I don't even understand what's happening. But I don't care to understand what's happening. But as soon as they get onto the train of them being slowly pursued by Red Grant, then it becomes the movie becomes something else. Yeah, and when yeah. yeah, and when people say this is their favorite Bond movie, I think, because, like, the general consensus is that, like, Goldfinger is, is the best, and I actually agree with that. Mm -hmm. I think Goldfinger is the most fun. It might not, some parts of it might not hold up today, like other Bond films, but it's just so fun. It has all these great gadgets, a great villain, great too. Great theme song. Great theme song. But, you know, a lot of people, a lot of diehard Bond fam fans cite this as their favorite movie and i gotta say like we're not big fans of the first half but the second half is truly electric and yeah. like really tense yeah just watching one of the best scenes is watching red grant take over the position that the british intelligence had sent to bond for help because as soon as they get on the train there are a few people that bond realizes okay i'm gonna have to fight these people to get the decoder into England but as soon as those threats are neutralized because of Kareem and all the sort of espionage that they take care of on the train he realizes okay I'm not going to be able to get over the border with this thing because I'm going to be stopped and asked about what it is right and they've got guns and they've got money like he knows he's not going to get through customs so he contacts M and he says, okay, send me another agent that can help me get through customs. And this is sort of a key change from the novel to the movie, because in the novel, you don't really see Red Grant take out the other agent that M right. sends. You just sort of figure out, okay, somehow that communication was intercepted and Red Grant shows up as that person. Mm -hmm. Now, in the movie, it's so cool because you get to watch that happen, and not in a dumb way. Right. Like, something I love about this book and the movie is that Red Grant is not dumb. Like, Blofeld is kind of dumb. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of instances where the villains in James Bond are just, they have terrible plans. They're literally there just so Bond can knock them down. And they're not interesting and they're not really a challenge to him. Mm -hmm. But this guy is clearly a match for James Bond. And the way that this is set up in the movie is that the agent that M sends actually gets to the station to meet Bond. But Red Grant observes the code between two British intelligence officers meeting each other to make sure to check out that they're who they say they are. Yeah, Bond in the previous. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the code, which happens like three times in the movie, is someone comes over to the other person and says, pardon me, do you have a match? And the other person is supposed to say, I use a lighter. Right. And that's how they communicate. And so you see Red Grant 
watch this whole thing go off. And so he knows that when he sees the guy approach James Bond, he takes him out in the bathroom and then assumes the identity of this guy. Now, again, in the book, you don't see that happen. That sort of happens off screen or off page. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool to watch that espionage happen because it just shows how smart Red Grant is. And then he poses as the British intelligence guy that's supposed to help Bond. And Bond sort of eventually figures it out. But that's another thing that I really like about the book. You see that James Bond knows that there's something wrong, but he doesn't act on it. And he goes ahead and trusts this guy anyway. Right, and Ian Fleming makes the great decision to not tell you the details of this person's face so you don't know who Bond is talking to, right? right? And the tell is when Nash goes, old man, every time he finishes a sentence because he's trying to be English. And then Tatiana notices, not Bond. And see, this is another example of how, okay, Tatiana's a little bit of a silly character. In fact, there's this one quote. It's just, it's so terrible. James Bond has decided he's going to marry this girl, blah, blah, blah. And she tells James Bond, beat me if I get fat. (laughs) It's just, okay, she's kind of a silly character. But she notices that the agent's name that he gives Bond is Nash, which in Russian she knows means one of ours, like one of our agents. And she tells that to Bond and he still says, no, that's a very common British name. (laughs) Shut up, Tatiana. Shut up and slaps her across the face, no. But that again shows that James Bond sometimes can get really focused on one aspect of the mission, which was to get the decoder home. And he completely blinded himself to other parts that he should have been picking up on. And I kind of love that flawed nature of him as a man, as an agent. And of course, that sets him up to be, to have a little bit of an edge on Nash because he's then able to overcome him. But I just love that they set Nash up to be, even the fact that Red Grant chooses the last name Nash is such a great piece of character building because it shows that he's so smart and he's almost having fun with this and we know that he loves being a killer and so it's like he's playing with his food Mm -hmm. by calling himself nash so i just i think that's such a great detail it's super super smart and then of course tatiana realizes what that means but bond is completely blinded to it And while you don't have any of those nuances in the movie with Red Grant, what you do have is a fantastic performance by Mm -hmm. a young Robert Shaw. Mm -hmm. This This was 11 years before he'd go on to play one of the most iconic characters of all time, Quint in Jaws. Yeah. Put this up and go in the water. Yeah, that that guy. So he is... He is as tall as Sean Connery, 6'3". So he's this imposing, massive force. He has bleach blonde hair, which he he dyed for the movie. He's not naturally Mm -hmm. that blonde in real life. And he is just just an incredible actor. I mean, talk about someone gone too soon. I mean, R.I.P. Robert Shaw. But he is so... I mean, his accent, like, old man, old boy. It's so great. Think about it. He's posing as or he as the actor he's acting as an irish defector to russia playing an englishman (laughs) right and and he's really he's really he's charming but he's you can also tell something is off about him but he's just this like i said this imposing force and he has such a his posh english is so it's just so fun to listen to. It's like right. Michael Fassbender um, in Glorious Bastards, that kind of high, mm-hmm. high up in, in, you know, in the mouth, in the nasal, very nasally, like Ian Fleming himself. Right. Like, yes, I do say so. Yeah. Yeah, he says how. And in the tell for Bond in the movie is that Red Grant, he orders red wine with fish right. which which is i mean it's a little silly but it's also like oh yeah someone from that region wouldn't you said like james bond says like a true englishman would never drink red with fish and it's one of those things that is silly but it's also like oh that's actually kind of smart of bond to de- to deduce that you know mm-hmm. being your culture you'd order something different based you know mm-hmm. that kind of reveals what you are but it makes me wonder if 
that's something that Ian Fleming really hated if people did because I watched this interview. He says <laughs> everything that Bond hates, for example, <laughs> tea and Windsor knots in ties. Oh yeah, like he what the heck he was that about? Hates, <laughs> he hates those things, and so that's why he made Bond hate those things as well. So it makes me wonder if he. It's like a pet peeve of his that if someone had fish, they ordered red wine. Well, I can tell you another reason why Fleming novels are a little bit, you know, awkward, uncomfortable to read because he clearly has some some prejudices that come through, like uh, with lesbians, for instance. Ro- uh, Rosa Klebb, right. who's the main, who's the uh, the hand Tatiana's handler, who she works for. Uh, Spectre. No, well, in the book, Schmier. Yeah, right. right. In yeah. the book, Schmier, and in the movie, Spectre. She's also a great villain, but I mean, I think the description in the book. I think Fleming this really hates uh, (laughs) lesbians. I mean, like he's very homophobic, right? Yeah, that's definitely on record, and it comes through. There's, in fact, of course, there's the example of the one Bond girl who's who is a professed lesbian, pussy galore, Mm. and she ends up turning (laughs) to. T- turning, turning straight from for bond because she just had never been with a real man yeah that's... i mean that like that's what we're dealing with yeah with so that's ian fleming right but yeah so rosa Klebb in the book i just wanted to read a couple of quotes to show the description of rosa Klebb is so disrespectful it's you know she's basically described as asexual or a neuter that's what he calls her it kind of shows that the only way a woman can be successful in this world is if she's 100% asexual, cannot be swayed by sexual appetites, which is also kind of funny with the character of, what's her name in Austin Powers? Fraulein? Fraulein. Yeah. Who's, right. Who Fraulein is a direct spoof of Rosa Klebb exactly. in this movie. So that's yeah. why, yeah, it's, it's, that's why it's a spoof because Rosa Klebb is just this successful in Smirsh or Spectre, but it's because she's completely unswayed by sexual appetites. And she's... it, But it is also suggested that she's maybe a lesbian because she makes some sort of sexual comments and passes at Tatiana. Yeah. And <laughs> it's just... It, you know, she's stocky, short, toad-like. She has, she has dry skin. They, in, the, in the book, it mentions that she has dry skin. It's just this you know <laughs> yeah like this really awful character that he just makes these char- these strong women into witches right uh, but <laughs> but a wench- really yeah. yeah a really imposing villain though in but the movie great villain and getting yes. back to the train i think what is nuts about so one bond is foiled momentarily by red grant and in mm-hmm. both in both the book and the movie it's kind of like oh shit bond has nowhere else to run like he's right. literally in a train cabin cornered down with someone with with a gun and in the movie it's a little silly how he he convinces red grant to open the case you know that that's kind of like the first bond gadget quote unquote in the entire series Great is this is gadget. this is this case that you know depending on how you open it will explode and explodes and so it's a little silly how you know red grant kind of expl- explains his whole plan he didn't have to do that but right. he, he does it for the audience a little silly that happens in the book too but then the fight that follows that is incredible and when i yeah. say that the fight still holds up to this day and is one of the best fights in the whole bond history Mm-hmm. That's that's not a hyperbole. That's not an exaggeration. I mean, this fight is brutal, and it's so well filmed. There's yeah. no score to it at all. It, it's it's a close counter fighting, so it, it's very high stakes, right? They're hitting in the corners. Like one wrong turn, you'll run straight into a wall, a and door, yeah. A, yeah, door. You'll knock yourself Hanger, out. Right. And it is just, I mean insert synonym of brutal here it's just like truly just so visceral and what's impressive is that most of it was performed by the actors themselves and you can see that that's awesome you can see that because you see their faces most of the whole time you know there are these tricks in in filming fight scenes where you don't see the actors faces so you can have stunt doubles in there but director terrence young who directed uh 
from Russia with Love. He he wanted authenticity, and he's like, no, you guys will you guys will be fighting themselves. And both Robert Shaw and Sean Connery sustained like bruise like rib bruises and oh, wow. and you know like bloody noses and the the whole fight scene took three weeks to film which in back in the 60s you know a movie like one movie was made a year right shoots were a lot faster than they are now right. so spending three weeks on one scene was a, a huge deal but i mean like talk about it like it truly is amazing and it holds up more than the scene that was paying homage to it in Spectre, the movie mm -hmm. Spectre, yeah. when uh, you know Daniel Craig's Bond fights Dave Batista in the train. Like it's a very, it's like the same type of scene, clearly paying homage. Inspired, yeah, yeah, inspired. But the one and the key to it is the simplicity. You know, there's no flares, no bells or whistles or anything. Mm -hmm. It's just these two men fighting to the to the death, sweating bleeding over each other yeah. in this like really beautiful blue light because at the start of the scene they kick one of the lights and it breaks and right. the whole cabin goes into kind of the emergency lights which are blue for some reason as opposed to red but anyways it's this it's this breathtaking scene and yeah and and everything i should say leading up to that scene with with bond slowly realizing red grant is bad and with red grant cornering bond and putting a, a drug a, a, sed, a kind of a sedative and yeah. tatiana's drink that you know both of those come to a head in this really long it's like a 20 minute sequence that happens it's really tense and i every time i watch it i'm really at the edge of my seat so mm -hmm. that's that's i think the second half really makes up for the second half slaps yeah the second half honestly <laughs> slaps and then of course this isn't a change, but it's an addition to the novel. So the boat chase after the train sequence when Bond kills Red Grant and then the helicopter yeah. sequence, those are both added. And it's clearly, yeah. you, you can feel that it's added to the film because it's quite literally just, they're thrown in there. Yeah, they're like two minute scene yeah. sequences. And it didn't need to be in there. The, the helicopter scene, I mean, is basically just straight ripped off from North by Northwest, yeah, which is funny because North by Northwest came out only four years before this film. So whenever you see like paying homage, it's usually like decades have passed, but for like four years to have passed, I'm like, that's really weird, right? Yeah. And, and fun fact, Alfred Hitchcock had been considered to direct from Russia with Love. Whoa, that's cool. But and with Cary Grant playing James Bond and Grace Kelly being uh, Tatiana. Oh my god. But the funny thing is, he's not fired, but he wasn't hired because Vertigo in 1958, not a lot of people know this, Vertigo actually was a flop at the box office. Well, hot take. I'm not shocked. Oh, don't. <laughs> Sorry. It's cra That's another podcast. Uh, Vertigo is not a book, but I mean... All right. I think it's based on a short story, isn't it? I don't know. Let's not get into that. But yeah, Vertigo, like Vertigo, one of the best movies ever made, um, was actually when it came out not successful, and it, it's kind of crazy to think that. I mean, Hitchcock was just making like hit after hit, but for some reason, Vertigo just didn't do it. But a year later, he would have another hit with North by Northwest. But yeah, he he wasn't brought on because of Vertigo's failure. Terrence Young was brought on, and yeah, and then it's kind of weird for them to pay homage to North by Northwest with this clearly inferior sequence that's really yeah. lame with just Bond just like ducking under a hill as the helicopter goes back and forth, and then of yeah. him just, what does he do, throw a rock at it, and yeah. then, yeah, it's kind of lame. And then the boat chase that happens right after that is also a little lame. I mean, yeah, it's pretty lame. It revolves around the enemies being stupid enough to stop their boats in front of these clearly explosive <laughs> bins of gasoline, which didn't explode when they were shooting at it, but when, <laughs> when the villains were shooting at it, but when Bond shoots at it, then they explode. <laughs> yeah. So even though it's really stupid, I think the, act the practical effects are pretty insane because you yeah, see the you stuntmen and they're like on fire. Yeah, that was really intense. There's one guy in particular and he falls off the side of the boat into water that is saturated with and, oil. And that did not look intentional. That yeah, like looked, it looked like, like it. Like 
it was like really intense. Like I was scared <laughs> that right. that guy might not have survived. It was in, like really scary. All right. So I was impressed with those, though that scene with them putting their stuntmen in danger like that. But um, I mean, that's a little impressive. And then of course we get the final scene, which this is the big change between the movie and the right. book. Laura, and, take it away. Okay. So in the book, let me set the scene for me reading this. So, you know, I've seen the movies. I don't know them by heart, but I know them pretty well. And I know that, you know, Bond doesn't die at the end of the, any of the movies, right. of course. Now, here I am on, like, the last page of From Russia With Love. And Bond has subdued Rosa Klebb after he finds her in the hotel room. She's posing as an old lady not as a maid, Mm -hmm. and she's knitting with these knitting needles. And he does the same. He makes a mistake, which I love about Bond. Or not necessarily that it makes a mistake, but he's flawed, and so he doesn't quite know the significance of these knitting needles that seem to have discoloration at the ends, at the tips. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, he fights Rosa Klebb after she tries to strike him with these poisoned knitting needles, and someone comes in to take her away and then comes the boot tip that has poison on her toe on yeah. the boot tip yeah the night the little, little knife, knife thingy that, pops that out comes of the boot tip iconic iconic yeah but in the book she nicks she kicks bond and he feels this little like pain in his calf and he goes, oh, that you know must have been a cramp or something like that. But then in he, as he's leaving the room, he ostensibly dies. Right. And that's the end of the novel. Yeah. And I was, my mind was blown. And I've seen this online, but it also made me think when I was reading it, it makes me think of Sherlock Holmes and the story the final problem where he falls over the falls and you think he's dead and of, you know of course i know that there's another book and a bunch of other books after that but it's crazy like ian fleming basically kills him off in this short little again mistake like he thinks that rosa club has been subdued and so he can kind of get close to her and he doesn't think she's a threat but he she kicks him with this little poisoned knife Man, and he, and then you, he, you can tell he's kind of losing Lucy, consciousness, like, and his yeah. heart is starting to slow down. It's so good. It's so good. And then he literally dies at the end of the novel, and then he has to, and then he comes back in Doctor No. Right. Oh man, that is. It's the end is just so intensely written. It's incredible. Yeah, that's that's where the the book has a one-up over the movie in this in this instance. And yeah, that's the fun fact. Upon writing this book, Fleming was not sure if he wanted to continue writing. Right. He kind of was over it. And he's just like, okay, I'll, I'll write this cliffhanger ending where I essentially kill Bond and we'll see, we'll see how this novel is received. Well, <laughs> people ended up loving From Russia With Love more so than any of his other books. It got this huge critical acclaim. Do you know why? I have a fun fact about how it got so popular. Oh, I I bet I bet I know your fun fact, but oh, yes, really? but go ahead. You know your fun, you know my fun fact. I'll I'll pretend to be a surprise. Oh, but no everyone does, you know. Ugh, this sucks. I thought I was going to blow you away. Anyway, James Bond was relatively popular in England, but after this book launched, again, it came out in 1957, a Life magazine reporter was interviewing JFK and... Who? <laughs> Continue. Well, I guess that's another crossover with Yeah, 112263. So in 1961, a Life magazine reporter asked JFK, what are your top 10 favorite books? Which is kind of funny because that's a very common question now, or what are your top favorite movies, movies yeah. or songs? But anyway, this was a very novel question at the time. And so JFK put together this short list of 10 that was published in Life magazine. And all of them are books about politics, their collections of essays, their very lofty material, of course, except that From Russia With Love was the only novel that was included on his top 10. 
list. And that's how James Bond became an international figure because JFK apparently loved reading the James Bond novels, which I, I love that fun fact. I'm so bummed that you knew that already, but well, hopefully our listeners didn't know that and they can get a little bit of extra fun knowledge out of that piece. I have a fun fact to add to your fun fact. And this is kind of a, a spooky little fun fact. <gasps> so supposedly this From Russia With Love was one of the last films that JFK ever saw. Oh, I didn't know in a private in a private screening in the White House because yeah, oh. broccoli he decided to since JFK essentially launched James Bond in right. America and throughout the world, honestly. Yeah. He in in From Russia With Love was one of his favorite books. Broccoli set up a private screening for JFK on November 20th, <gasps> 1963. Two days. How did I not know this? Two days before JFK flew to Dallas and was assassinated. Now, whether he saw a movie on the 21st remains to be seen. But yeah, supposedly from Russia with Love, the movie that JFK himself made happen, basically, it was the last movie he ever saw. That is so interesting. Yeah. Well, oh my gosh. The more I learn about JFK since I read 11-22-63, it's incredible. Wow. That's so interesting. Thank you for teaching me that. Yeah, of course. But yeah, it, it, it's crazy. This book has so much... Like, Ian Fleming himself has stated that this was his favorite Bond mm -hmm. novel. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the movie itself, Sean Connery says it's his favorite one. You can kind of see that in performance, in his performance. He like still clearly cares, like you know, other, right. you know, as opposed to the, the later films that he made, where he's kind of he's just he's so over it, over it right. that yeah, and he's like out of shape and uh, yeah. But he is yeah, it's his favorite. Steven Spielberg, it's his favorite film, and and it's he, his favorite film. Uh, no, sorry, or Bond. Favorite Bond. Got it. Excuse okay. me, and. That's a big part of why he cast Robert Shaw in Jaws because yes, he. That is a fun fact. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, it, it's crazy, but I certainly get it. And like we've been raving about the second half of the movie, which truly is like great cinema and really fun, especially with Bond. The first half is really tough. I think with the book, I really love the opening intro talking about Red Grant and how it's like just so different from what you're expecting. Like you go in expecting a Bond novel right. and then the first third is just not that at all. Like yeah. the like the first third is Red Grant and then it goes on for another like, you know, 50 pages talking about Tatiana. Tatiana. And we yeah, still haven't, story. yeah, we still haven't gotten to Bond yet. Again, which shows that actually in the novels, the quote-unquote Bond girls that are defined by, you know, the star of the show, whatever, they have they stand on their own two feet. Like, she is a spy, and sh sure, she's chosen to sort of go on the suicide mission because Smirsh kind of plans for her to die at the end, you know, but she's living on her own in Istanbul. She has a job at the embassy, like she's an interesting character, right? And you know, she she knows she's acting to ensnare Bond in this whole thing, mm -hmm. but she is an interesting character. Like she turns into an agent, and she ends up helping him by figuring out that Nash is not who he says he is. Right. So yeah, I like you know, the first third, last third of the novel, but the middle really drags for me. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, I guess it's my favorite of the Fleming books that I have read, but as I've stated before, the, the books are not really my thing, so that's not really high praise for me to say that's my favorite mm -hmm. Fleming book. But yeah, going back to the movie, I, like I said before, Goldfinger is probably my favorite Bond, followed by Casino Royale, Skyfall. On Her Majesty's Secret Service mm -hmm. is really great, too. That's a great movie. That's also one of my favorite books, but you didn't like that book. Right, yeah. I, I really couldn't get through that I read that, that in one sitting on an airplane flight from Man. Massachusetts to Los Angeles. I read it in one go. I loved that book. And here's the thing. I know it's a situation where it's not you, it's, it's me book. I, I, it's just, <laughs> I just couldn't do it. But yeah, I mean, 
I think from Russia with Love, it, it's probably it, it's probably sitting around number number five for me in terms of my ranking of all the Bond films. It has some really classic staples, and like especially with Bond oh, meeting yeah. Q at the beginning. Oh yeah, the briefcase gadget. The is knife is here and perfect. here. Yeah. So yeah, probably yeah. Uh, it's from Rush with Love in the top five, but I was surprised. I thought this was gonna be like my favorite after we rewatched it, and I'm like, oh no, my nostalgia glasses were on a little bit too tight in this sure. instance. But yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I actually had a couple more fun facts. Oh, I'll you're... Just, I'll she's, just... I'll she's hit them. Keeps on going, folks. I'll hit them really quickly. So I just wanted to point out that the trip between Turkey and France that takes place on the Orient Express was inspired by a trip that Ian Fleming took himself. Interesting. And he wanted to cover it. So I thought that that was kind of interesting. And also it's interesting that that was the most interesting part of the novel because that was sort of, he was really interested in using his own experience as a reporter and as a serviceman in World oh, War II. Do you know if the trip happened while he was a reporter was, or while he was in the war? It wasn't when he was in the war. I think God. it was just a trip. Okay. All of the interviews that I've read with him, he really stresses how much reality he wanted to put into these novels, which I think is really interesting. And so something I heard him say is that 90% of what he put into the Bond novels is from reality. And he actually used the word shenanigans, <laughs> which uh, I thought was kind of funny. Ian, you salty dog. And I, I wanted to read this quote too, because you know how I said, it's hard to really pull out a lot of deeper meaning from the movies. They really are just adventure stories, which is good and fun. But what you really get swept away with is the espionage. And that's really what I think this film and the book, but the film really brings out is the intensity of the espionage going on between these different countries. And he has this quote that I think is really kind of encapsulates that. And he says, I think people just like to read about heroes. And I think in a lot of ways, that's fine. Like we've talked about in other episodes, sometimes that is all we want to watch, you know? And it's really fun to get swept away in that story of espionage and outdoing your enemies and having such high stakes of life and death. And I think nowadays we have the perspective that we want to watch heroes who look different than just a white guy running around in a suit. Because... Honestly, hey, that's fun when he looks like Daniel Craig. I'm not gonna lie. But, you know, it's fun to have women and minorities and people in those positions that look a little bit different than that. So, right. yeah, I think like we've come a long way since this movie. But, yeah, I think it's still, like you said, the second half is fun. So I have this a little bit lower on my... James Bond ranking of all the movies, I would say it's probably like seventh. Oh yeah, not tenth, too far tenth, off. Seventh or tenth for me. But the book, I would say, also probably falls in the top, like the upper crust of the 14 that came out. Yeah. <laughs> all right, folks. You can find me at Letterboxd, at Danny G Reviews is my handle. I post all my movie reviews there. Go check them out. I think you're going to love them. Laura? Go ahead and like our Facebook page, Film Is Lit Podcast. You can also find us on Instagram, at Film Is Lit Podcast. Rate us and like us. Keep giving us the love. We love it and we need we it. Love it. <laughs> we need it for validation. Yeah, we do. <laughs> we spend an hour a week on this, so we need, we need our work to pay back. Well, an hour no recording, but then like 500 hours on editing, editing yeah goodness. that does take a lot we do edit these bad boys down heavily yeah but well anyway thank you for listening and have a good week have see a good you one. In the next one babe